Praise the name of the Lord. It's good to be in the house this morning. Amen. It's a great day here, accepting new members into the church. Our family is growing. It's a good day for me as well, though. Uh, somebody I want you to meet today. My oldest son is with me today. He doesn't get to come here a lot. He's from Sykeston, but he surprised me this morning. He came in. My son is Blake. He's with his wife, Melanie, my grandson, Lane. And they're also here. As of Friday, she's carrying my new grandson, who's a boy. Would you guys stand wherever you're at? There they are. Matthews 24 and 27. For as the lightning comes to the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Today is known as Palm Sunday. It's also called Passion Sunday. It's the first day of the Holy Week. It's the Sunday always before Easter Sunday. It was that Sunday that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. As the faithful followers laid palm leaves in his path and hollered, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. As he made his way into Jerusalem to submit to his father's will, which was for him to be crucified and die that following Friday as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Then on that Easter Sunday morning, he was to be resurrected after paying for the sins of the world with his shed blood at Calvary and conquering death, hell, and the grave. And today he is the risen Savior of the world. Can you give him your highest praise today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Today, I want to preach on something very relevant to the times we're living in. What Jesus did at Calvary 2,000 years ago that I just spoke of will always be relevant until he comes back. And the promise of his return is just as much relevant and important today as his coming was then. Because the conditions of our world is ripe for it to happen at any given moment. We're instructed by Scripture that no man knoweth the day or the hour of his return, but we may know the season. Church, we are in that season. Many prophecies were spoken to come to pass before his returning, in which they have been fulfilled. To the point it could happen has been prophesied. He could return in the twinkling of an eye. It was promised in the Old Testament that he would come, and he did. It was promised he would die on an old rugged cross for the sins of the world, and he did. And it was promised in the New Testament that he would come again, and he will come again. I want to preach on a subject that I believe is all too often overlooked and underestimated. But it's all too important to the world at this hour. I believe if we'll keep this truth I'm going to speak of in the forefront of our minds, I believe we have to focus more on our spiritual walk. We'll work harder to advance the kingdom of God. We'll pray more fervently. We'll assemble more in the church. Because knowing what I'm fixing to preach will make you more aware of the time that is at hand today. And the importance of being prepared for the second coming of the Lord. What I want to talk about, as I said, is something is of greater importance to the believer and the unbeliever than ever before in the history of our time. We constantly preach about death and how we must be prepared for it. Because after your death, you'll face eternity, either spent in a place called heaven or a place called hell. It's important for us to know that there is not a one of us will have the guarantee that the next second in our life will be alive. I mean, it could happen any moment. The cemeteries are full of people who live long lives, but it's also full of those who live very short lives. People who were warned their lives were ending and others whose lives were taken by surprise. We preach you must be ready. You must give your heart to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior before you die in order to receive eternal life in heaven. And we must keep on preaching it fervently. But I think we lose sight of telling people, Christians and non-Christians alike, there is another way we can leave this world other than the grave. And it can and will happen at the moment in the twinkling of an eye. This advent I'm talking about is the second coming of Jesus Christ when he raptured the church, as we've seen in the video. I'm talking about the rapture. We have to preach it fervently. And because of the season we're in, it needs to be preached more frequently because we are closer than we've ever been to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, a church this size, where we're blessed with new converts all the time, with new members like this morning, yet who perhaps have never heard of the rapture, or those of us who have, they need to be reminded. So this morning, I'm going to talk about the rapture of the church. To preach about Palm Sunday today, I'd be preaching about Jesus' first coming, 
when Jesus came to this earth to fulfill God's plan for his life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, began by robing himself in flesh, leaving the splendor of heaven, coming to this earth. Through being born, born by, through a, excuse me, born of a virgin named Mary, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and not a man, upon his birth they called him Jesus. He did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And after 30 years of life on this earth, proving to be Messiah, that he was promised to come, he submitted to the Father's will to be taken to an old rugged cross and be nailed to it and be crucified to pay for the sins of the world with his blood so he might be redeemed, we might be redeemed and have eternal life through him so that whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Declaring to the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except by me. After dying this tragic death, they placed Jesus in a borrowed tomb on Friday. And three days later, on Easter Sunday, he arose from his death at the conquering death of hell in the grave. Then he ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. Leaving us the promise he would send the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and comfort us, and he did. And he left us with these promising words in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and church, he did, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He promised I will come again. Hallelujah. When he raptures the church. Now, does the Bible mention this advent called the rapture? Yes, Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Paul said, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. No, he's talking to the believers. He said, brethren. Also, he knows he's talking about the saints who've already been part of this life. Those that are asleep. Saints, when we die, we're not dead. We're only asleep. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He's saying, if your loved one died as a believer... Don't worry yourself over them as someone who should, who lost a loved one who wasn't a believer. Because if your loved one was a believer, he or she had hope and has received it. They're simply just asleep, and God has a plan for them. He goes on to talk about this plan. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep, and Jesus will God bring with them. In other words, if Jesus rose again, and he did, so shall those who believe in him rise again. Verse 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That word prevent means proceed. We'll not proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Remember he said, We that are alive won't precede the dead in Christ. He clarifies this here. They're first. But he doesn't leave us out, us believers that are alive on this earth at the moment of his return. Verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, them, those saints that preceded us in death, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's talking about the rapture. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Folks, there it is. It's going to happen. He's coming back. It's been foretold in the word of God. Christ is coming back to rapture the church. When? In a moment. At any moment. Jesus says, no man knows the hour nor the day. He says, we can know the season. Folks, it's evident we're in that season. It's evident that we're living in the last days. There's nothing else that has to take place before that day to come. All of the preceding prophecies have been filled. It's here. Many will and have gone by the grave. But we must open up our understanding. It's not the only way possible for us to leave this world. That's why I want to talk about today, during what we call Passion Week. It's very relevant. It's an advent that will take place, the rapture of the church, just as Jesus described it in Scripture. An advent that I feel is so close to coming to pass, but taught and preached on so little. How are they to know unless a preacher is sent? We have converts who, don't, who have never heard of it. Christians who don't understand it. Sinners who aren't prepared for it. Church, it is a biblical advent that's going to take place before the end of the world. Jesus Christ himself is coming back for his church, for his bride. It's when the dead in Christ shall rise from the graves, and the saints on earth shall be caught up with them by Jesus Christ himself. And it will be before the tribulation 
takes place. And if you're not ready, you don't understand it, woe unto you. Today, I'm going to do my best to explain it today. As simple as I can, I assure you if I do it, it's going to be simple. And it should be, because we often try to get too deep. Too many speak of things so deeply, not for men's benefit, but for their own intellectual egos. First of all, there's always the argument, the word rapture is not in the Bible. That's true. The word rapture is not a biblical word. The word is not found in scripture. The advent, however, as I just read, is though. But the actual word rapture is not. However, the word rapture is the English name we've given to this advent to describe it and to name it. The word rapture comes from the Latin word rapio, which means to snatch away suddenly. That describes exactly what Jesus plans to do during the rapture of the church. Did it not say in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you know how fast that is? Blink your eyes. That's that fast. There's even a lot of debate over when the rapture will take place amongst the different denominations. Some believe pre-trib, before the tribulation. Some believe mid-trib, in the middle of the tribulation. Some believe post-trib, after the tribulation. Well, I'm going to tell you what our denomination believes. You'll find it number 13 of our Decorations of Faith. We believe in, and I quote, in the premillennial second coming of Jesus, first to resurrect the righteous dead and to catch away the living saints to him in the air, and second, to reign on the earth a thousand years. This is also what your pastor believes. This is also what your associate pastor believes. And I'm going to use scriptures to confirm our belief. The tribulation is that period between the rapture and Jesus setting up his millennial kingdom here on earth. The tribulation consists of a seven-year period. And we believe the church will be out of here before it ever takes place. In other words, we believe in pre-trib, meaning this advent, the rapture, will take place prior to the tribulation, that the church will be spared from going through it. We believe the church is the restraining force the Bible mentions that will someday be that will someday will be taken away. When you read the book of Revelations, the book that gives us a detailed count of the tribulation, no place in Scripture does it mention the church being on earth during the tribulation period. For some of you, you may not know what the tribulation period is. It's the time period after the rapture of the church, which has been established to be a period of seven years. It's when the Antichrist shall appear and reign. The first three and a half years bringing peace and the last three and a half years bringing destruction. At which point God pours out his wrath upon the earth and Christ returns to defeat Satan once and for all and establishes his kingdom upon the earth. You see, I said earlier, Christ's second coming is when he raptures the church. And then again, now I say he's coming after the tribulation. How is that? I can explain. You see, the second coming of Christ is one advent but he comes in two phases. Nowhere in scripture is the church associated with the tribulation. Read your Bibles. God's church is his purchased possession, and he has saved us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 1.10, Paul said, Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which, deli- which delivered us from the wrath to come. I firmly believe the church will not be subject to any portion of what is referred to in scripture as the tribulation. Now, there is a man very familiar with many who has a very popular radio program. There's a lot of his teaching that is correct, but I believe he truly errs in his teaching on one particular point, an important point. He believes that the church is going through the tribulation. And many say, well, who cares whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Well, it's important in a lot of ways. I think it's important to be ready at all times. It would be a sad day for many for when Jesus comes pre-trib and you aren't ready. Now, let's be honest. To many of us, we're last-minute planners. It's one thing to be late and miss out on an earthly event, but when it comes to this, there's nothing more important than to be ready for. And I think it's scripturally wrong to believe the church is going through the tribulation. And now I'm going to tell you why. I read earlier my opening scripture that described the rapture. But I want to read verse, eight, uh, verse 1 out of chapter 18 of Thessalonians one more time. Paul said, Comfort one another with these words. He said, tell everybody the Lord's coming back. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which remain alive will then caught up away with them. Now that is comforting to me. But with this man's approach, it's not so comforting. Him telling me I got to go through the tribulation. 
folks who do not want to be here during the tribulation. Now, I believe we can suffer persecution before the rapture, but to go through the tribulation is totally different. Man's persecution versus God's wrath is no comparison. Those words aren't near as comforting. If I know I got to suffer the tribulation before Christ comes back, I don't agree with him. My heavenly father loves me more than that. Jesus died so I could avoid his wrath. So that's why I'd even mention this man's belief. This is all important to err on. You might believe him and not me. It's your choice. But I totally disagree with him. I'm out of here, either by the grave or by the rapture, before the tribulation comes because I am a believer. This does not mean the believer does not or will not suffer trials and persecution until that day of his return. They're always with us. Even Paul told us that. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. All that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. But the persecution we're suffering today is in no comparison to the day of the tribulation. That great and terrible day as it's described. Before the sudden destruction and the wrath of God takes place, the saints will be called away and be rejoicing with the Lord. If you believe that too, would you shout amen? amen. Hallelujah. We also see Paul offering consolation to the church in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. It is as he's saying to the church, don't worry about the tribulation period. If you're a believer, don't worry. Because he writes, for God has not appointed us unto wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. No, he said, God has not appointed us unto wrath. Church, God loves us. We're not appointed unto wrath. We're appointed to obtain salvation. Now note also in that verse, it says, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Church, we're to be with him. If we die before the second coming of Christ and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we're not dead. We're only sleeping in the arms of Christ, resting until the day of his second coming to be joined with him and all the other saints in the air. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. One other passage of Scripture that supports we are leaving before the tribulation is found in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9. Paul said, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The phrases, to you who are troubled, rest with us, deserve special attention. He was saying, while the rest of the world shall receive the wrath of God's flaming judgment, the saints will be at rest with him. He's saying, be with us that are resting. God did not destroy the earth the first time until Noah was safe in the ark, and then God shut him in. Until Noah, who was righteous, was safe, destruction did not come to this earth. Jesus said one, he said to Noah, come thou and all the house into the ark. Verse 16 says, and the Lord shut them in. God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until righteous Lot had left. And not until the church has left the earth, been raptured, will God pour out his wrath upon it. The church age is a day of grace, mercy, and long-suffering. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm burdened over the unimportance that's being placed on the rapture. If ever we should be talking about it, it's now. I mean, we're flirting with disaster. Too many of us gamble with our physical death every day. We say, well, I feel pretty healthy leaving out the possibility of a tragedy or some kind of accident that takes place every day in someone's life, creating an unexpected death, that alone is alarming for those who are not ready. At least sometimes, I mean sometimes, with physical death, we're given those to where we feel that we can get things in order. And that's what I think we're missing about the second coming of Christ. We've lost sight of the possibility Christ could come at any moment and fast in the twinkling of an eye. Sadly, we've been warned for over 2,000 years to be ready. Saints, I'm here to tell you, 
It's going to be a glorious day on his return when we're called up with every saint that has died, that is asleep in the grave. The bodies of the saints rest in the ground until the Lord returns. On that day of the rapture when Jesus appears in the clouds, the spirits of the saints of God shall also come forth and enter into the bodies that are in the graves. Then shall the corruptible put on incorruptible. Then shall mortality put on immortality. The dead in Christ shall raise first. And those who gave their hearts and lives to Christ and proceed us in death, then we saints of God which are prepared We'll be caught up with them in the air to wait and return with our return with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration when Elijah and Moses appeared with Christ? It typifies the rapture. How? Look at this. Because Elijah didn't die a natural death, he was taken in a whirlwind alive. He represents the living saint being raptured. Then Moses, when he died, God buried him. But yet he appears to Christ, which exemplifies the resurrection of the dead. Elijah, the living saint. Moses, the dead saint. Both with Christ. Hallelujah. Church, when that last trumpet sounds, I'm going to wear a crown. Come on, somebody. Give him praise if that's you. Now, let's talk about this trumpet for a moment. Go back to verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. What is going to announce this great day? Christ shouting and a trumpet sounding. The use of a trumpet goes back to the times of Moses and Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. In Numbers 2 and 10, God told Moses, make two silver trumpets. And the two silver trumpets were ordained of God for a specific purpose. One trumpet was for, used for the calling of the assembly to assemble the saints. The second trumpet was sounded to signal for a journey to begin. The second coming of Christ takes place at the sound of the last trumpet and calls for our journey to begin for those of us who are alive and dead in Christ to be forever with the Lord. How many of you know we're going to take a journey of a lifetime that will last throughout eternity? The last trumpet's not the last tribulation trumpet mentioned in Revelations, though. You don't want to be here when those trumpets sound. The last trumpet is that one that symbolizes the last, the two, like the two silver ones that are, are symbolized. The last trumpet is going to call for the assembly of the saints and for our new journey to begin. Let's go back to Moses. I want you to see this. When the first silver trumpet sounded, it called for them to assemble. When the second one sounded, the camp began to move regardless if people were ready or not, you better hear me right here. God didn't stop the glory cloud and tell the priests, set the Ark of the Covenant down and wait on them because somebody failed to give heed to the trumpet and now they're running trying to catch up. When the trumpet of God sounds at the coming of Christ, he will not hesitate or wait on anybody. Only those who gave heed to the trumpet will make it. God didn't stop the rain. And open the door to the ark for those who didn't believe Noah. No, when the door is shut, it's over. When the last trump sounds, church, it's over. And the thing that is so distressing that there are so many people who aren't ready. Millions of people who do not know Christ as their Savior. Well, how do they hear to know to be ready? By us witnessing, telling people about Jesus Christ, sounding the gospel trumpet. Randy, are you sure it's our responsibility? After all, those silver trumpets were sounded by the priest. Maybe it's just actually the preacher's place. I mean, I'm no priest. I beg to different. Let me enlighten you to something. 1 Peter 2 and 9. This is New Testament stuff. For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have the responsibility of sounding the gospel trumpet until that last trump sounds. You see, there's a list, actually a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And everyone that's accepted the Lord as their Savior, both the dead and alive, who had their name written in that book, that's who he's coming after. Now, let me talk for just a moment to perhaps someone who's not on the list yet. There's only one way to get your name written in that book. It's by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no man comes into the Father but by me. You'll have many who will say, but I'm a good person. Good alone won't get you there. I've got great morals, 
Great morals alone won't get you there. I give tithes and offerings. That alone won't get you there. Just singing the choir alone won't get you there. It's only through accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because it's his will that no man should perish. It's for whosoever will. And as the gospel trumpet is sounding today, it's calling you to be a part of the assembly, to become a part of the bride of Christ, the church he's coming back after. If you don't hear the gospel trumpet and respond, you will not hear the last trump. After that last trump sounds, the saints of God, whether alive or asleep, will begin our journey to glory. Every loved one you got that heard the gospel trumpet and responded by receiving Christ as their Savior and died in Christ will be resurrected. And then we, which remain alive, believers of Christ, we're going to be transformed and be caught up in the air to be with our loved ones and live forever with our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's also going to be a celebration, a marriage supper, a wedding, and the saints will be shouting, Zach, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Sin is the sting. Where is now thy sting, the power to hurt? We were dead, but behold, we live again and shall die no more. Devil, you had me oppressed, depressed, bound, sick, afflicted, addicted, but I made it. You can't touch me no more. For there is no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more crying. For God himself dried my eyes. We fear you no more. We will shout in heaven, oh, grave, where is thy victory? Once we were your prisoners, but now the prison doors are burst wide open, and we are forever released. The bonds of death are loosed, and we are free for eternity. Our labor was not in vain. It was worth it all. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Saints, it's time to sound the gospel trumpet. The king is coming. The king is coming. I can hear the trumpet sounding, and soon his face I see. I said, the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. If that's you, give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's coming, church. Yes, yes. Now let me shift gears for a moment. If you now understand the rapture, that can happen at any moment in the twinkling of an eye, and that you always got to be ready for it, then I think I also got to take a moment and talk about this tribulation. Why it's so important to miss it. Why you must be ready for death or the rapture. Both require the same thing. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the only way you'll miss the tribulation. Now, while the knowledge of the rapture should comfort, as Paul said, the same is not true for the sinner without Christ, you who have no hope. To the unsaved today, if you're alive when the rapture of the church takes place and you're not a believer, you will go through the great tribulation. I've got to tell the truth. If you can't accept Christ now, you can't even imagine how much harder it will be then. Let me talk about the tribulation for a minute. This takes place on earth. Luke writes what Jesus speaks of about this time in Luke 23, verse 28 through 31. Jesus is on his way to the cross to be crucified, and women are following him crying, and Jesus turns to them and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming which they shall say, Blessed are the barren in the wombs that never bear, and the paths which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Meaning if they do this to me, who am an innocent, what have they got planned for this guilty nation? If I'm fruitful, what will they do to the unfruitful, the dry tree? He was saying, don't cry for me. There too will come a time when they'll persecute you also. For those of you who wait and aren't a believer when the rapture takes place, your last and only hope of making to the kingdom of God is going to be during the tribulation period that immediately takes place after the rapture. And to make it then, it's going to entail you suffering. It could even mean you being beheaded or tortured for your belief, even to the point of becoming a martyr. And if you can't accept him now, what makes you think you will in the worst of times? If you can't give up a few vices and addictions and an ungodly lifestyle style to serve him now, what makes you think you're going to when it requires your life to serve him? When it requires being tortured or killed to declare him as your savior? To help you understand what you will face, let's move to the book of Revelations. To be able to describe to you the tribulation and how it unfolds and what follows. 
And I promise you, by the time I'm done, you will realize how blessed you are to be saved and ready or how important it is for you to get ready today. I'm not going to go into detail. This book is deep. Remember, I'm keeping it simple. The book of Revelation is written by John. God instructed Jesus to reveal to John these things to come. John, this time, was isolated on the Isle of Patmos after being tortured and exiled for preaching the gospel. And John writes in verse 10 of chapter 1 that he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. When the Lord appears to him and speaks to him to write what is revealed to him to the churches. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, he writes, he's called up into heaven. It is there he witnesses what's to come and writes of it. John's done been there, church. Which was the tribulation and the second coming of Christ is what he sees. What is revealed to John to see is the wrath of God. Immediately after the rapture begins the tribulation. When John enters into heaven, he sees a book with seven seals. And Jesus, the slain lamb, is the only one worthy to open it. The first seal of the book is open, and John wrote, And I saw, behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him had a bow and a crown and was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. This is the beginning of the tribulation. And it begins with the Antichrist appearing. The Antichrist is the man whom the devil uses to see those who are left on earth after the rapture. It's at that time, church, he will reveal. I believe we're so close to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe the Antichrist is on the earth right now. He just hasn't been revealed. And you will be deceived, Scripture says. Even the very elect will be be deceived. What will be his first acts when he appears to bring peace? John wrote, when the second seal was opened, it revealed he brings peace. Why? Because of the rapture. Because of the rapture, there's going to be a lot of chaos in this world. This world's going to be turned upside down. And it'll be his road to excuse it all away. What happened to all them people? Who knows? Maybe he'll say a UFO took us all away. The Antichrist will be a man of power. He'll be going to be a diplomat. He'll have all the answers. He'll bring peace to the world. And many will follow him. He will establish a new world economy, a one world order that will bring economic stability for a while. It is at this time Israel will sign a seven-year peace treaty prophesied by Daniel. Doesn't sound so bad so far, does it? For three and a half years, there will be peace and prosperity, led by the deception of the Antichrist and the false prophet who will come and perform miracles before your very eyes. But at the end of the three and a half years, the Antichrist will begin to reveal his true colors during what is now called the Great Tribulation. Israel will realize they've been deceived. The Antichrist will set up his kingdom in the holy temple of Israel. This act is known as the abomination of desolation, declaring himself to be God. And he will demand to be worshipped. He will be an idol to be worshipped. And the false prophet will have the power to even make this idol talk. And you will be required to accept the mark of the beast. 666 will be placed on your forehead for, in order for you to be able to buy or sell anything. And refusing to do so will bring death to you. And doing so will bring eternal damnation to you. Because once you receive the mark of the beast, you have committed an impardonable sin that will be no more chance of repentance. Also, according to the seals that are open, there will be a great famine, earthquakes, darkness upon the earth. God is angry, and he's beginning to pour out his judgment upon the earth. It says, after the seventh seal was opened, there was a silence in heaven for half an hour. Can you imagine angels who from the beginning of time have sat around the throne and worshipped God? They have been singing around the throne room of God 24-7, but then they are silenced. Then the seven trumpets were given to seven angels, and the prayer of the saints were brought before the throne. And the seven angels of the trumpets began to sound them. After every trumpet sounded, destruction was sent to the earth, destroying one-third of the earth. Then after this came the seven bowls of God's wrath, the ultimate wrath. Seven angels with seven vials. The first angel poured out his vial on the earth. Great sores came upon them that had the mark of the beast. The second vials poured out on the sea, became as blood of a dead man. The third vials poured out upon the rivers, they become as blood. 
The fourth vial was poured out on the sun. People were burned by a great heat. The fifth vial was poured out on the throne of the beast. Darkness covers his kingdom. They gnaw their tongues because of their pain. Imagine now being here. Sores, burn, darkness, water like blood. This is during the tribulation. You don't want to be here. The sixth vial is poured out on the river Euphrates. The river dries up to allow the kings to cross to attend the ultimate battle between the devil and the kingdom of God, known as the Battle of Armageddon. And then the seventh vial is poured out in the air, the worst earthquake that's ever happened happens. All the mountains are removed. Hellstones weighing more than 100 pounds fall on the people. A great voice out of the throne of God says, it is done. The final battle is in place. The earth is a wreck. The Antichrist is still serving Satan. The devil thinks he's victorious. That is that he has withstood the wrath of God. Folks, this is not a fantasy. This is a reality. If you are alive when it happens, you will face this. Now, I must go on for a moment. Let me go back to the hope of the believer, though, because I must tell the rest of this story. Right when Satan thinks he's victorious, in Revelation 19, verse 11, when the final battle set, after all the seals have been opened, all the vials have been poured out, John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he both judge and make war. Church, the ultimate battle's on good versus evil. The battle of Armageddon takes place. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our mighty warrior, has shown up to face Satan. And then John writes, speaking of Jesus, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And on his thighs was written the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in the flesh riding a white horse, headed for the ultimate battle between good and evil. Hallelujah. When he came in the first phase of his second coming, the rapture, only the saints saw him. But this time he comes, every eye shall see him. And guess who's coming with him, saints? You and I. Yes. Hallelujah. All the kings and armies that are gathered are prepared to do battle with Jesus Christ himself. What fool. What fools. We advance and out of his mouth comes the two-edged sword and annihilates the enemy. What is the sword? The word of God. His voice speaks death unto them all, and it's a massacre. And the Bible says the beast is taken out. The false prophet was taken alive and cast into the lake of fire. And an angel calls for the fowl of the earth to come and eat the flesh of the kings and the captain and the men and the horses that were slain that day. Then guess what happens? It even gets better. John writes, I saw an angel. It didn't say an archangel. It didn't say some super-duper angel. It just said angel with a little a. Read it in your, read it in your Bible. It says he had, him having the keys to the bottomless pit and a chain in his hand laid hold of the devil. Now, can you imagine this? He's got a hold on the devil with a chain and him looking him in the eye and say, kneel down, boy. Say it. I said, say it. He's a king of kings, and he's a lord of lords. Hallelujah. And then he's going to take him, put him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years until the day of the white throne judgment. At this point, the millennial reign begins of Jesus Christ. Folks, Christ is coming back soon. I don't know when, but we've got to always be ready. Maybe you're going to go by the grave. Maybe you're going to go by the rapture. One thing for sure, you want to be ready for whichever way you leave this earth. You want to talk about a kingdom encounter? This is one you don't want to miss. You know why? Because the first time, he came as a quiet baby boy with humility. But the next time, he'll come with a shout from heaven. The first time, he came in loneliness, both meek and mild. But the next time, he's coming in power and glory. The first time, he came as the Lamb of God. But the next time, he's coming as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
See, the first time he came as a sin bearer. The next time he's coming without sin unto salvation. The first time he was, was despised and rejected. The next time he's come to rule with authority. The first time he came, he wore a crown of thorns. But the next time he'll wear a golden crown. The first time one star appeared in the east. But the next time the whole earth will shake under his feet. And the last trumpet will sound. And our new journey begins. Hallelujah. What a day that will be. The promise of Christ's returns, return is not a new doctrine. It's a precious promise to every believer. One that is unfortunately taken lightly by some. So many who are refusing to believe. So many who aren't prepared. Second Peter 3 speaks about this time. Knowing this first, there shall come the last day scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Folks, mock if you want to, doubt if you want to, but God's promise will be kept at a time you think not. When he comes, and he will come, God's not late, nor running behind schedule. When someone says to me, Randy, they've been saying it for 2,000 years. And I say, yeah, and maybe you're the reason he hasn't come yet. Because it's his will that no man shall perish. Maybe he's waiting on you, sir. Maybe he's waiting on you, ma'am. If you'd get saved today, who knows may all get out of here today. Hallelujah. I'm thankful he's been long-suffering. Because I still got loved ones who need to make it. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But his long-suffering towards us, that all should come to repentance. And here's the bottom line, Hebrews 10 and 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and not tarry. The Lord is coming, and I believe it's soon. In Matthew 24, Jesus made it clear to the disciples what the end of the world would be like. He told them of the importance to be watchful and to be ready. Matthew 24 and 27 said, For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He's coming quickly when he comes. If the praise team would come, please. In closing today, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, in just a minute, I'm going to show you another video. And I hope that this video might help somebody. Because what I'm fixing to show you is a possible scenario, scenario of that day of the rapture. For those who aren't ready in the church and for those who are not ready out of the church. Maybe you've seen it. That's okay. Because I want to tell you something. We need to see it again and again and again as a reminder. Josh, if you'd play it, please.
That is a picture of a day that is truly to come. Would you stand with me, please? I must ask today, if you come today, do you know that you're ready? Perhaps you've given your life to the Lord, but there's things in your life today that aren't right. You need to make them right today so that you're ready. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a good day to know that you're ready because He can come back any given time, any hour. You want to know what the greatest lie is that sends a lot of people to hell? It's that you got time. So many people say, one these days, when I get it all together, when I get it all right, if you're waiting on your, you to get it all right and get it all together, you never will. You know what Jesus wants you to do? He wants you to do like I did. Just come as you are. Bring all that old stuff with you. Lay it at an altar and ask Him to forgive your sins and come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. Today has been ordained for everyone to be here. This is the message of the hour that God wants to be spoken. He wants the church to be ready. And He wants those who are not ready to get ready. Today, if you're not sure you're ready, I'm going to encourage you in just a minute to make your way to this altar. Come and make sure things are right between you and the Lord this day. And if you've not given your heart to life and you're ready today, he said, Randy, I want to today. I'll pray with you. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. This is a very important moment in this whole message right here, what you do with what you know right now. You know you got some things that aren't right in your life? Please come today and make sure they're right. You know you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. See, we're all born into sin in need of a Savior. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, so today I ask you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, let this be the day that you make things right. So that you're ready, regardless of what hour he comes, you'll be ready. If that's you this morning, I ask you to step out right where you're at, make your way down to this altar, and find yourself a place to pray, if you would, please. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Here comes one. Are there others? I need some people to pray right here. Brother Mike, Craig. Here's another one. Chuck, April. This is what it's all about. Knowing Him as your personal Savior. Here's another one. I need some women. Kathy Powell, Ron and Gary, would you come, please? Thank you, Lord. People pray right here. Bob, Carolyn. Come on, church. We've got to be ready. Some of you are standing there trying to hold on and bite off the conviction. What you're feeling right now is the Holy Spirit trying to draw you into His presence. Today is a day of salvation. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. It's another. Andrew. You don't want to be wrong. You want to be right. 
If you know and you're ready, I'd like for you to just be worshiping God right now. Would you begin to worship Him? Worship Him. This is a great time. Because of what He did 2,000 years ago, this is, this is why we're having this today. Hallelujah. Come before it's too late. Don't be too late. You want to be here. Hallelujah. There we go. I need some people to, somebody to pray right here, please. The greatest lie is you got time. You don't have no promise of tomorrow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's another one. The first step is the hardest. Put one foot in front of the other, and here you go. Would you come and pray? There's not a better day than this day right here. Don't just stand there. Your life can change today. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to be giving God praise. 
Somewhere near 10 people today, lives have changed. Thank you, Lord. Don't nobody leave. We're fixing to take communion. We're fixing to celebrate this day by taking communion. So you stay with us here for just a few more moments. We want God to have his way first. You know, the truth today is none of us seen the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. But the good news is we will all see the triumph return of Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Josh. Pastor Josh is going to come and we're going to do communion. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of celebration. All these people, names were just added to the list. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Everything that Pastor Randy preached on today is because of the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe in that today? And we're going to do something very special in communion. You know, we've done that many, many times in this church. I'm sure you've done it many times in your life. And if we're not careful, it can just take on an insignificance because it becomes something that's so familiar. But it is something spiritual. It's something powerful. It's something historical. And that's worth mentioning. We are doing something here today that has been going on for roughly 2,000 years. That's a powerful significance. It's powerful because Jesus himself was the one that instituted it. He's the one that gave the parameters and said, you'll do this as a memorial for what he was about to do, talking about his death. Jesus is the one that instituted this. You can read about it in several places all throughout the scripture, but in just a few moments, we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 26, verses 20, uh, verse 20, chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. And Jesus told us that the elements that he would use, talking about the bread and the wine and talking about how the bread represents his body and how the wine represents his blood. His body was broken. His blood was shed for our sins. And I just want to mention briefly a few things that it does for us. Number one, communion, it does several things, but it reminds us of his death it's something that we do to commemorate him until he comes again. Wouldn't it be awesome if this was the last communion you get to do? I mean, we did it and then Jesus came back. Oh, it's possible. It signifies, it seals, and it applies to the believers all the benefits 
of the new covenant. You know, we are not only just going to heaven, but there are benefits in the here and now for serving the Lord. In the here and now. It's Jesus, He's ratifying all of these promises to us and He's setting ourselves apart for His use. And more than that, it's something tangible. You know, sometimes when we talk about spiritual things and we know the Spirit is real, but when you can touch it, when you can taste it, when you can smell it, it it brings things to life in a new and a deep way. It's a symbol of our belief in Jesus Christ. It also reminds us that as we take these things, as we eat them, we it reminds us that we are in union with Jesus Christ. You are one with Christ if you are genuinely saved. Somebody say amen. And more than that, it reminds us that we're in union with each other. Look around you today. You have brothers and sisters. We literally had several people that are now part of the family of God. Part of the family of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They have been adopted. They have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. They are in the family. The Bible points out that right now the very angels in heaven are celebrating. Right now, they are rejoicing. So we take communion and we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross the reminders, the bread and the juice, the reminders for us. It gives us a chance to commune with God. You know, one of the most intimate things that you can do is have a meal with someone. Jesus, during that Passover time, the Last Supper, was during Passover, he was having a time of communion with his disciples. And when you partake of this, you have a time of communion where you take in the life that he gave us through his death but ultimately through His resurrection. So you look around you today. Everybody look around you just very quickly. You're not alone in this Christian life. You're not alone in this life. We commune with God and we commune with others. We are doing something that's been going on for 2,000 years. It's also a time, as Pastor Randy pointed out, it's a time where we can sit there and we can examine ourselves and see if there be anything inside of us Maybe, let's be honest, maybe we need to repent of. Maybe we need to confess before the Lord. And that's a time to do that. That's okay. Is that okay, church? Okay? It's time to do that. But finally, it's not just a time to remember his death, as important and vital as that is. But it is a time to celebrate God's grace. God's grace and his forgiveness that he extends to us. We don't deserve it, but because he loves us and because of his grace, we are able to do this. So, if you would go ahead and if you have yet to get one of the cups, we have them at the back tables at each one of the back entrances. If you've yet to get one of these cups, we believe in open communion here at our church. You say, what do you mean by that? You have to be a member to take communion in our church? No, you do not. You just simply have to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Somebody say amen. Again, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when they had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And right now I'm gonna invite you to take the bread. And in your own way, just for a moment, Would you just lift your hands and give thanks one more time? Just an own personal way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my place on the cross. It should have been me. It should have been me. Thank you, Jesus. Now, church, would you take the bread and would you break it? and then eat it, signifying the broken body of Jesus. He goes on to say, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Would you right now, would you just thank Jesus for his shed blood? 
Jesus. Lord, your word says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God, we're thankful. We praise your name, Jesus. The church, would you drink the juice representing his shed blood? soon we're going to have the privilege and the ability to be in the very presence of God Almighty to praise the name of Jesus to glorify him and lift him up but before we get there one day would you one final act all across this place can we just have unified worship would you lift your hands would you raise your heads and look look up and would you just right now begin to give God praise this world that we're living in, it needs to hear some praying Christians. It needs to hear some Christians that are full of hope. It needs to hear some Christians that are genuine. It needs to hear some Christians that are thankful. It needs to hear some Christians that really believe what they preach. It needs to hear some Christians that are in love with Jesus. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we love this time of year where we can come in and celebrate Easter and everything that it means for us. Father, I pray that you would bless each and every person here today. God, let us be about your business where we're putting you first in everything we do. Let us talk about Jesus. Let us tell people about the shed blood of Jesus. Let us invite people to church. Let us talk about the gospel as Pastor Randy has preached on today. God, we ask that you bring us back tonight safely. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you.